0: Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So sit back and relax and enjoy Paris Good Food and Wine. Down of Season 4 of Paris Good Food and Wine, we get green Danish style, with Jane Peterson and her grunt, grains, and smorgasbord of good eats. Of course, she pronounces her native Danish words properly, so I won't even try to go there. Suffice it to say that the name of her food company, grunt, means green in Denmark. Then we turn to sake. This fermented rice wine's ancient mysteries have long been held by Japan. Miriam Mazier, brand manager for Paris's Atelier de Sake, gives us a brief intro on things we need to know about this naturally organic beverage. So, once again, I'm delighted that you've joined us for another episode of Paris Good Food and Wine Deliciousness. Please leave your reviews on iTunes by following the link posted on our show notes at localfoodandwine. That's localfood.wine. And also, of course, on Paris Food and Wine. That's parisfoodandwine.net. Your questions, comments and suggestions are welcomed and we can't wait to see you back here after the summer hiatus for more of Paris, good food and wine. Actually, I've been wanting to come in here because for months and months I saw that it was this was a construction a construction site this uh, Fondation Galerie Lafayette. And now since they've opened, it's kind of like a cafe space, an art space, um, a place for, I mean, it's definitely a fondation and it's kind of minimalist. So I thought this was really the the perfect space for you and I to meet. And I'm so glad that we we were able to arrange this, Jane, because your philosophy while with your food, with Grant, G-R-O-N-T, and you'll explain to us what all that means um since it probably comes from your Danish uh Absolutely. <laughs> origins yes okay yeah good good um yeah it, I mean maybe your philosophy about food maybe isn't minimalist like the decor here is minimalist but I think it is kind of going a little bit in that direction anyway let's pick it up from the first point and tell us what does grant mean what like what does that grant mean and what kind of a food do you prepare?
1: Grant will say uh, means green in Danish, and it's not G R O N T, it's G R O with the slash that is very Scandinavian as a, as a letter. And uh, it will say Grant, uh, it means green. Even uh, in Denmark, we say Grunt, that is uh, um, green things for vegetables. So that's the meaning of my name. So When I wanted to to do my business in France, I wanted a Danish business. I wanted something that was easy to recognize as being Scandinavian. So with the O, with the slash in the middle, on uh, grunt, that was perfect. And I am doing kind of green food. Um, I'm not all inspired, but uh, lots inspired. The most of it is biological. And uh, if it's not biological, it's by small farms or cooperative or organic. things, yeah, organic or yeah, we say bio here, but <laughs> it's only organic, right? So most of it is organic, and if it's not organic, it's what we call reasonable farming. So with with reliable resourcing and uh, and not too far away, that doesn't transport and things like that. The only thing that I have to, to do that comes far away from is uh, the avocado that I use a lot. But otherwise it's mostly uh, a vegetable from the season and from not so far away.
0: When we first met a few months ago, um it was you were doing sort of a pop-up at the BHV, which is of course one of the most popular big department stores in in Paris and actually just around the corner from here. And uh, I remember what you were doing there was it fe- it seemed to me to be very traditional Danish, at least in terms of what Americans maybe think of Danish food, like the open-faced sandwiches. Now, is that what your repertoire is? I mean, tell us a little bit about if I wanted to order lunch from from you, you know, if I were, say, a company and I was thinking about having a big meeting and having you cater it, what kinds of things could I expect?
1: Yes, exactly. We were doing the open-faced uh, sandwiches that's a typical Danish um, uh, meal. We call it smørrebrød. So again, you have two O with the slash. <laughs> and um, I was doing this uh, yeah, as a pop-up in uh, the BHV because I just made a, a book that came out. So present the book and uh, we made this up-up pop-off uh, event and it was a good occasion to present this uh, thing that is kind of coming up we all know avocado toast for instance it's another open sandwich uh, um specialty it's not particularly Danish with the idea avocado but still something that we took in very quickly the avocado in Denmark, and it is the principle. So the principle is that uh, in Denmark, you don't have canteens and things like that on the school. You bring home, uh, from from home you bring your lunchbox. And the basis of the lunch pack has always been the, the bread with this, the rye bread. It's more, uh, it fills you up more, and it lasts longer. So for the babies that go to school, well, they can last until four o'clock with this, <laughs> with this meal. So it's always been used uh, very lot by us. Even though we do like a lot the, the rye bread, of course, also, but we hold on to this rye bread all over the times. It comes from the time of the Vikings. And uh, the rye, it was the only, um, crops that we can do twice a year on the north.
0: That's interesting. I mean, it seems like you've drawn from really your roots, like your cultural roots, your, the food roots of Denmark, but then also, You've blended it, um, with your experience here. I think you've been here 30 years now here in France, which, I mean, I do meet Danish people here. There's that one, there's that chef who's become quite renowned recently on the, um, uh, on the Champs-Élysées, the Danish house on the Champs-Élysées. So it seems like food from Denmark has getting some spotlight these days, but you've been here for 30 years. And so your food kind of draws on, both the roots of Denmark and Danish traditional food, but also what things from France have you blended in with it? I mean, do you take anything from food traditions here in, in France or in Paris? Uh, yes, of course. Some things I take in, like the chocolate. <laughs>
1: Everybody like, love chocolate, but the French people really do love chocolate. And you always has, has a chocolate cake on the set very often, le moelleux au chocolat, and we do one. I, I I made it a little bit in my sauce. It's more green. I made it with uh, without f- uh, flour and only with sweet potatoes. So it's uh, moelleux, but it's not so heavy as a moelleux and not so sweet as a, a normal moelleux. But you're right, I'm taking in some of my roots and I'm mixing it. But like all the Danes are, I think that the Danes was becoming. Be, we have this phenomenon here that we, you become a foodie. You are uh, obsessed by food and it's the new drugs. You know, <laughs> you don't go on heroin, today you go on food. <laughs> <laughs> And you can go and you know, you will, y- your budget will, will explode it to buy the right uh, butter, the right uh, sausage, the right uh, chocolate, and it's the most important things today. But I think the Danes much earlier than the French people. Maybe because traditionally we don't have that many uh, things. We don't have uh, that many fruits. We don't have that many vegetables because Simply did historically didn't grow as easy as at the Mediterranean area, and then you have the the, the food revolution, uh, industrial revolution in uh, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and things t- start to come and be uh, affordable for everyone. And the Danes just throw on themselves on, on this and get you know they tried a lot of things. So yes, today you see the the Danish kitchen very rich, but very rich by being inspired of a lot of other uh, things, but uh, with uh, uh, with good roots because it's a farming country. So they always been loving uh, good crops and re- been respecting you know the animals. The way of farming and things like that, the fishing. Uh, so yes, they have a s- certain love for the good, uh, valuable um, things, basic things, and then they do interesting things with it. In and in the image of Norma, that when they started this restaurants, the idea was to say we'll do like, um, like the French call chasse-cailleurs. Those who go those who go uh, hunting and and collecting in the forest, yeah, and go back to how we was eating at that time, that means that we come back to this new um, process where we say that idea where we say well things doesn 't have to come from the other side of the world. You know things that we eat. We don't want it to to stay a month in a in a ship, and then and then we eat it after. That's kind of the new idea today. And, and this way of of doing it, of Noma was starting this. They they started this kitchen that's called paleo that goes back to this time where we was hunting and collecting in the forest. And that means not more than 50 kilometers from where you are, and that's the basis of, I think, of a good, uh, genuine way of uh, of taking in food. You you eat what's in the area, you eat what's in from the season, and uh, what you can't keep all the year, well, you do with new methods. Like, uh, well, it's old and new methods, but you can be inspired instead of using only vinegar. But you can use also soy oil instead of using only. Um, in the north, uh, you, you ha- we have a lot of milky prob- uh, product. And uh, in the milky product, when, you, uh, when they are um, in process, you have the microbiotic. That's very important for uh, for your uh, digestion. But when you go uh, in Asia, they don't eat a lot of milk. But they still have these microbiotic things. They get it in by the meat. Though. So it's an interesting to collect information from other ways of doing. See what is similar. And just open up this register that becomes two trims, three trims of what you have at the base. But still, try to work on the same way as you did
0: before. So
1: keep a, a good balance between the roots. And what it was before.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I love, I, I just, I love hearing you talk though, too. I mean, you're, you're speaking English. Your English is so wonderful. It's really fabulous, but you're speaking English with kind of like a, with a Danish, but French. accent. <laughs> it's really lovely. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you actually mentioned a lot of things that I kind of almost want to unpack, uh, that that a bit because well first you referenced Noma which of course has been like you know the number one restaurant for years and years now I guess it was it was always it was El Bully and Noma but then when El Bully closed it now you know Noma and um, and then you also referenced you know fermented food so either say yogurt or miso which that, you know, that that is very interesting. It's kind of like they both give, both those foods are kind of like fermented or they give the good, you know, microbiotics as you referenced. That's uh, very, you know, excellent for healthy digestion. And I know there's been a bit of a trend in the United States for f- fermented food, like kimchi all of a sudden became a really fabulous thing or sauerkraut too became a really popular thing. Yeah, so, so really interesting. And also too, while you were talking, when you mentioned Noma, Am I wrong or am I right? Was Babette's Feast was that in was that a Danish film? Babette's Feast. Ah, Babette's the, Feast. ah the Babette's Feast. Yeah, it's a
1: it's, it's a French film. It's a French. Um, it's um it's a Danish story. It's written by Karen Blixen, I think, and it's I have made a film that's happening in Denmark, but with a French person. Uh, Le Festin de Babette. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's a, it must be a combination of uh, French and, and Danish actors, that's, uh, and I don't know the production, I don't remember who directed it, but yeah, a lovely film, such yeah. so a good message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: You know, speaking of, speaking of Babette's feast, you can almost say that this is, uh, what you're doing with your company is kind of Jane's feast, or I wish I could say the, the, the company name properly. Grunt, 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 Grunt. Yeah, Yeah, I'll practice. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah. green, Grunt, Grunt. Um. So you've, you're, you're trying uh, several different approaches from what I understand. You're focusing right now on catering. So catering for large events, corporate events, things like that. Tell us a little bit about that if you would. And also tell us a little bit about, I know you have a kind of an alternative business plan as well, where you actually, you have uh, kind of a delivery service where you focus on, on having your food featured in a. Company in a corporate, like say for fifty or twenty or plus employees, where they have your food like once a week, which I love this concept. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about this. I just think that that's fabulous, and it's a wonderful way to give people healthy, tasty alternative, great, uh, and a, a healthy, tasty alternative for their main, you know, their lunch meal that is probably very boring during the week to a large extent. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's boring what they eat through the
1: week. No, I think everybody is very, um, foodie today and they will take care to eat a good things and uh, interesting things. And there's a lot of delivery service already. It's right that I had another idea to start with and I simply had to realize that it took more time and I have to uh, kind of, um, install my, my business, my mark the way the things I do work before really being able to install this kind of way of doing, it, to delivering people. But yeah, it was uh, it would be very interesting when I'm going to do it. Uh, the idea was to, to go to the companies and like once a week or once every second week to big companies and saying this first off a basis that you don't want to eat the same thing every day. So even if you have a very good canteen and you have a lot of things available and things like that, it's nice to have something else times another. And the way that some... Now you have, today you have a lot of, um, uh, even in those very huge companies that have their own canteen and things like that, people are going out, people are ordering on things like Uber Eats, on Fristis and things like that, but it's on an individual way. Yeah, each have to make an order, and they will receive their little lunch pack. So it's almost like having your your uh, your uh, dinner tray before in front of your telly or in front of your computer. Uh, it's on an individual basis, and my idea was to say that you, if you come in a regular way and people like what you you do, then. It, kind of will make a community everybody will not take grant, but if you know 20 or 30% in the company are happy to get together and you know exchange in between them well this week I'll take this thing and what are you taking and uh, how did it work for you and you know you kind of make another kind of community you will I will come at the same time so you will eat at the same time and it could be a good rendezvous in a, inside a company uh, on a Uh, uh, on a free basis you know there's no obligation Uh, it's not for uh, uh, a union or uh, a meeting or something like that but little by little you'll find together around something that could be you know nice, that was the idea and I probably will do it but not before in a year something like that
0: You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine featuring Jane Peterson of Grunt. That's the name of her food brand here in Paris, and it means green in Danish. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You can find more about the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Local Food & Wine, and of course at parisfoodandwine.net. Follow us on Facebook at Paris Food & Wine, and also on Twitter at Paris Food Wine. love so much about that about your business plan is that you're addressing that really fundamental importance of eating which is a shared experience so I really yeah I really love how you've pointed out that you know ordering your food to be delivered by you know whichever service it's true it's kind of I mean it's kind of the equivalent of you know the eight you know the tv dinner of yesteryear where you know you're sitting alone and you're eating your your meal you know whereas this yeah you're right i mean it's like even if like 30 people aren't eating all together you would still have maybe three or three or four people who like work in different departments who could be like yeah hey we're gonna go you know we're gonna do jane's uh, grin today and so well you know we'll go and get it at the same time and we can sit on over there it's almost like a yeah i mean it it would almost be kind of like a group picnic in a way, but it, it within the company walls. And then that that's such an important part of eating is that shared that shared moment. What do you think about that? Just as somebody in in the food industry, like somebody who's a, a food professional. Do you think that that is a trend? Is that something, a change that we can try and go back towards? Or because we were speaking a moment ago, and when you look at the changes between like the 1950s and the 1980s, our eating habits, even more than just what we're eating, but the way we're eating changed so dramatically. Is this something that we can recapture, you know, and... Your business plan is a good direction towards that. I don't know. What do you do? You have any thoughts to share on that? Um, Yes,
1: I think that, um, like we talked about just before um, starting recording, (laughs) Um, uh, the the way of eating has been changing so much since the 50s. It's been, you know, almost the same way for centuries, and then uh, during 30 years we just. everything has exploded. No habit is like before. So a lot of things is the base of that. You know, coming out of the Second World War, uh, people have been hungry, needy, things like that. So one of the Most important thing, all of a sudden, is to eat. Then we eat like we did before, all together, and too much. You know, everything has to be uh, oversized, has to be uh, not too expensive. um, The the value of, I think, food today, if you in normal, every day, everybody can eat today. If you don't eat, if you don't have the money, then you can go, um, there's a... You can go to, to, to get the crabs, you know, you don't have to have dirty crabs. There are people that, by philo- philosophy, also go and get things that has been thrown out. We are in a society today that doesn't need, we have too much. We throw out like 40, 50, 60% of what we're producing. And uh, we are today, we are in the opposite situation where we, we are not saying, I cannot get enough. We are saying, you get too much. You get too much all the time, (laughs) slow down, (laughs) do otherwise. We are kind of doing, food is not that important. But still, you're right, food is very important because it is the vector of sharing. It's so nice to have somebody to come to your house and do dinner for them. It's one of my best experience in life. Is having people coming in and share food with them share a good moment good experience and you know people are relaxed and joy food are also it's the first pleasure it's more immediate than any drugs sex uh, uh, play with games or things like that it's immediately when you take something you put it in your mouth you have a good feeling something coming out of it and that is very important but it should not be uh, filled with Uh, culpability like we we do today, but still guilt, guilt. but we have to redo our habits still you have another strat on that, we are now in a society before everybody was in family and sticking close together being a family today we are individual you know american psycho, the 80s uh, was from there and the most important thing from everyone was to have their little home their little telly their little job and their little university uh, we are not out of that but we are going out of that people want other things to today they want to get together they want to share things share experience and that's Kind of the new things we are seeing coming out with Airbnb, with the, all the new way of, of traveling, of uh, getting together, of seeing how do the other lives, of getting less afraid of the other one. So we are in a way of, we want to share today, share experiences, knowledge and things like that. What will it be in, in 10 years or 15 years? I don't know, but I think that one of of the things that we have to hold on to is share but share in a selected moment today we will not get back to what it was before that you will uh, give up your independence in the name of the family because there's nothing is perfect and there's a lot of complication in living like that also we have to get into respecting one another living together but being independent it's not worse today than it was yesterday no it's better today but still it's not finished We are, as a humankind
0: yeah you're so right we're still in process <laughs> As a, as a species, we're definitely still in process. Yeah. You know, you, you triggered some more thoughts as you were speaking. And I remember, I think I heard a, I think it was a radio report not too long ago saying that in the Western world, Europe and the US, something like one in two adults nowadays live alone. You know I mean it where you know whereas before, like you were mentioning, we lived in couples or as part of a couple or part of a family or part of an extended family, whereas now I mean it's a I don't know if that statistic is absolutely correct, but it's a, it's a really huge number. A huge number of people live alone. And one of the things as, you know, like we've been discussing is when you live alone, you often eat alone, you know, and I wonder too, if that, that's not where some of the stress induced kind of diseases around food is coming from is that whole thing of, of eating alone. And it made me recall a really funny phrase because i have a dog (laughs) made me recall a really funny phrase i saw recently it says um having a dog means you never have to eat alone (laughs) because the dog is always there and they're looking for the little scraps (laughs) yeah when the it's food time the dog will be there for sure No it it's so it's so true but it also it also does kind of remind you that yeah eating with someone sharing that moment with 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 people with someone you know or or yeah is a different experience It's a completely different consumption experience than, um, than, than eating alone. So, um, yeah, you know, anyway, those were just some thoughts that were triggered when, as you were speaking, let's go to, uh, the, another topic that's really, I find really interesting is sourcing ingredients. Cause you were talking previously too about the importance of eating local. So do you find, since you're based here in Paris, do you find it pretty easy to source, uh, you know really good ingredients you know locally farmed ingredients you talked about avocados a moment ago you were saying well avocados are the one thing i can't really find locally yeah no the avocados i have to take them at avrancis and uh, of
1: course they are mostly imported and uh, comes from far away and uh, i i take them bio but uh, still, you know, it's, uh, it's not a French fruit, <laughs> basically. But otherwise, you know, I, I think you sh- should not be too religious either buy food you know as long as you do the best and of course we cannot go back to uh, like it was before everybody was doing his little vegetable in the backyard and there was only buying a little bit of what they was needing and things like that it can't go back but we can just be more um, more attention of what we are buying and what kind of products we are buying and what they're coming from I use a lot of cereals in my um, in my food dried vegetable and cereals it's the base of all my salad i think it's very good because it, the cereals gives us a lot of proteins um, vegetable uh, protein and um it's a it's a good base to have, uh, you know, to have a good base uh, not to feel hungry uh, quickly after. When you eat uh, those dried vegetables, you have all of it. You have the fiber, you have the protein, you have the vitamins all together. And you have a lot of fibers instead of um, just vegetables like tomatoes and cucumbers and things like that. That is very nice also, but I think it's important that the huge part of the salad is based on on dried vegetable like uh, it can be rice it can be quinoa it can be um, wheat it can be potre, it can be um, uh, lentils and things like that you know but that is a good base for a, a good salad and a good way of eating also because instead of saying well I should not eat the bread well You don't eat the bread when you have this kind of basis because you have the the, the filling up feeling and you don't need this right bread all the time. These industrial made things... And uh, it makes you eat vegetables that you can cook them in several ways. You can cook them at 42 or 45 degrees if you want to be in the philosophy of, of crew or almost, most, how you call it? in raw. raw, in the raw philosophy or almost raw. Or you can cook them normally at boiled water or things like that. But still, it is cooked because it's not easy to eat all the time raw things. Only the, the stomach is not... It's not really um, that used to it anymore. Maybe we did that at the Neanderthal uh, <laughs> period, but after we find the fire, uh, it has changed. So I think it's a good base <laughs> to do a, a good, um, a good uh, way of, of eating. I'm doing a lot of rye bread. That's really from my history. Um, the Vikings was doing the rye bread because it was the only crop that we can do twice a year. And we kept the rye bread all over the years because there's a lot of mix of cultures in, in Europe with, uh, with um, uh, the Scandinavian people, but also with the middle European people. And like, for instance, Italian and France, they eat a lot of rye bread, white bread. We eat a lot of rye bread, brown bread. And we kept it all over the years. And is the base of today day's uh, fooding and everyday basis in Denmark still? You know, the kids when they go to school, they have lunch pack. They don't go to the canteen in the school, and on uh, the lunch pack is mostly made on the rye Basis they put things on. We do what we call smørbrøl. <laughs> and it's the one side, uh, one face uh, sandwiches uh, that I transform so to like a club sandwich, but with. As, um, we have two way of doing the, the smirrebrud. It's the normal way with just a little bit of garniture on the, on the bread. Or it's for, for the fest. It's what we really call smørrebrød. It's the one piece of bread and then a lot of garniture on the top. That's what we traditionally call smørrebrød. And that's what you saw on the BHV, um pop-up store when we trying to do it very fancy, very beautiful, and with a lot of things, uh, it has to be on the top. So I'm doing a sandwich like a club sandwich, Fact wrapped in paper like a hamburger and cut in two, and, but with a lot of things inside. You have salad, you have avocado, you have proteins and things like that. They have to be generous uh, inside.
0: You know, as you're saying that, that, it's you're saying it so authentically that I think some of my American listeners probably don't even recognize the word because you know how we say that. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. We say it smorgasbord. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we say it. We say it's smorgasport. <laughs> smoke sm- Smurgebird. That's so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, can you just take us through, like, say one of them, say one of your signature ones, as if we we're standing next to you in your kitchen, how, like, what, in, if you were telling us in your, if we were standing next to you in your kitchen and you were giving us instructions as to how to make one, what would we do? Like, what kind of ingredients would we do? Because you mentioned protein, but, like, my my first question in my mind is, well, what kind of protein? I mean, tuna or ham or... <laughs> <laughs> it can be both tuna,
1: ham. Uh, it can be things that's more well, where I come from, like herrings and uh, herrings and uh, salmon and things like that. But um, Denmark is really... Uh, in the difference of uh, Sweden and Norway, that is much more on the fishing, and um, but we really been farming for years and years. Very close to Germany, the travel of the of the whatever we were doing. I think of before the Second World War, for instance, there was a lot of traffic of uh, of food going around in Europe, and the producers was. Danish was, was one of the big thing that was making the finance in Denmark was doing crops doing farming so we ha- we always been doing you know all kind of meat it's lamb pork and uh, pigs and 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 cows uh, so everything is available and normal on the Danish food uh, on the Danish table. And then it's up to your fantasy what you will mix it with. It can be what we call um, uh, a smiling summer day. It will be <laughs> it will be a potato uh, uh, boiled, and you take off the skin, and then you cut it in slices with some mayonnaise and some um, how you call it uh, spring onions, spring onions, and uh, uh, egg that is you no know, not hard, not soft. Cut in two, maybe some radish, and and then it's up to you to make it the more the, the highest and the fanciest you can.
0: Oh. <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, I also, I think for inspiration, we're going to have to look at your Instagram account. I know you have you have a really rich Instagram account, and you also have a book. You That was one of the reasons for the pop-up, is that you had just released a book. So can you tell us how to find both of them, your book, like the title of your book, and then how to find you on Instagram as well? Well, the
1: title of the book is uh, Bienvenue à Copenhague, which will means uh, Welcome to Copenhagen. And it's, um, it's edited on Mango, and it's one of a series. The Mango has had this very good idea to do um, all countries' speciality by taking by the capital. Uh, so there's one for Denmark, but there's also one for Lisbon, there's also one for Quebec, and, and further on. So. And Instagram is Jane uh, genu- and you just look for grant. It's very easy. When you tap G-R-O slash N-T, you'll find
0: it. <laughs> you know, though, that poses the problem that I don't think I have an O slash on my keyboard.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it works with the normal O also.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jane. I really appreciate you coming out today to, to talk to Paris Good Food and Wine. Thank you.
1: Thank you to you to invite me.
0: I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. Next up, we'll be hearing from Atelier du Sake Paris's brand manager, Mariam Mazur. Don't forget to leave your review of the show on iTunes. It helps other listeners find Paris Good Food and Wine. And it's also very gratifying to the team to know that you're loving listening to us. Okay, so we're here at the Cafe Marlette, which actually proves to be a really charming cafe up on the third floor of the Beausset, overlooking the Hotel de Ville and that beautiful carousel down below. The, the French are so crazy about carousels. There's a carousel. There are carousels all over the city, and I never get tired of, of looking at them. But we're not here to talk about Cafe Marlette or the Beausset or carousels. We're here to talk about sake. Sake is our topic of the day, and uh, here joining us is Miriam, who has so graciously agreed to explain to us everything she knows, (laughs) or at least some of the high points of sake, because it's a subject I know nothing about. And you're going to start by telling us what the l'Atelier de Sake is, because you work for them, and we'll get into what you do for them in a moment. But first, tell us a little bit about l'Atelier de Sake.
2: Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here with you, too, and to inform you about Atelier de Sake and Japanese sake. Actually, Atelier de Sake is in the 16th Paris, near Trocadero, And um, in Atelier de Sake, we have about like 50 different sakes, Japanese sakes, coming from Japan. I receive in Atelier de Sake sommeliers, chefs, one, two, three star chefs, bartenders, very famous bartenders, journalists. And um, we organize tastings. We organize very much events in hotels, restaurants. And the last training we did was in Ecole Hôtelière de Lausanne, the best school of the world for the future sommeliers and chefs. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of
0: community outreach there and you're covering so many different bases. So if I understand it correctly, Miriam, you're actually a brand ambassador for them. So tell me a little bit, what kind of roles do you play as a brand ambassador for sake?
2: My role is to make the first one actually is to make people understand that sake, Japanese sake, is not the Chinese sake. It's very important for me to make the difference, for people to make the difference, that the sake is not uh, the little glass you drink at the end of a dinner in a Japanese, in a Chinese restaurant. It's just like wine. Chinese sake is uh, made of distillation. Japanese sake is made of fermentation.
0: Okay, that's a really important distinction, and that's fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up. As a brand ambassador, I imagine that that's really what you're always doing. You're just always communicating, always educating people. Probably maybe a little bit less marketing, but just always educating, always communicating. Now, you know, a question that may sound really simple, and it'll definitely indicate how little I know about sake, but I've always wanted to ask, is sake
2: a wine or is sake a spirit? Sake is completely like wine. Sake is fermented product you take the rice water yes and it's more complicated than that but little by little uh, the fermentation makes you have a wonderful sake with different flavors you can have dry flavor fresh aged sake full-bodied spicy fruity and actually you're right the first part of my job is to educate people, to change their mind, because the first time I talk about sake, they say, oh, no, thank you very much. (laughs) And it's really important for me to make the difference. So by the time that part is done, then we can, you know, pass the second and say, okay, now let's have a tasting, let's have ideas around sake, and chefs love, you know, how they want to have new ideas and be better than the other one, and, you know... The first time I met a uh, chef about sake, around sake, he was amazed about it. And then the second one came and said, okay, the the first chef, the, the other chef loved sake. And how about me? I want the same. So, you know, little by little, it grows. Little by little, people discover sake. Little by little, there are different ideas. The other idea, the other thing I do is to meet bartenders with whom we create cocktails. Why? Because cocktail is very trendy all over Europe. You cannot come in France and say, "Okay, you find sake, you discover sake, and you drink it, because they love so much wine, that I had to find another way to make them discover sake. So cocktail was the best uh, um, imagination we could have. Actually, the sake could have. No, you're
0: right. Cocktails have taken off in full force here since, what, about eight, eight years or so now. Yeah. And I've tried some sake cocktails, and I really do enjoy them. I, you know, there's so much creativity that can go in, into blending. You know, another point that you made me realize is, is sake aged? Like, how, what is the aging process of, of sake? Is it, is it like a wine? Can we keep it in
2: barrels or bottles for years? Or how does that work? The only difference between sake and wine is that uh, you can keep your wine for ages. The more you keep the wine, the best it will be. But sake has to be drunk in the year. Because in sake, on the contrary of wine, you have no preservative, neither tana, which makes your wine, you know, be aged. So by that time, you have to, by by the time sake is bottled, you have to drink it in this, in that year.
0: Okay, all right, so I'm starting to get a better picture. You know, also, too, another realization is that there are so many nuances. I mean, you started to just go through the flavor profiles there. I would love if if we could delve into that just even a little bit more deeply because I had the privilege uh, recently at, at that tasting with you to... Uh, Try a sake that was—I mean, it was ca- like caramel. It tasted like caramel, and I had never tried a sake like that. I'd always tried sakes that were much more venous I suppose. I mean, it didn't have like those caramel. Other sakes have not had those caramel notes. So, what were we tasting there, and what kinds of things can we find? What kinds of things do you carry in your portfolio uh, at the Atelier de Sake?
2: All the different flavors of sake depend on the rice used to make that sake. Um, The sake making and the difference of the flavors depend completely on the rice because you can find uh, 300 different rices for sake. Actually, it will depend on the water. The water in the north of Japan is not the same at all in the south of Japan. You will um, have the difference by using different yeasts. You can find 2,000 different yeasts in Japan. And the way the owner of the kura, which is the house of sake, works. So you will have different flavors, but it will completely... If, if you take one rice, which is called Yamada Nishiki, and another rice called omachi, you will definitely have different tastes, of course, with the rice, with the water, and, of course, the way the owner works.
0: You know, something that's so fascinating, too, that you related to me in our conversations is that you actually started off with sake with a as a tabla rasa, as they would say, so kind of, you know, with a a very fresh perspective. I imagine that immersing yourself in the world of sake has also meant that you've had to uh,
2: learn a lot about Japanese culture, especially food culture, no? I did not feel that I had to. I just loved to do it because uh, by the time I discovered sake, I just fell in love (laughs) and I'm just completely passionate about it. So, of course, I had to feel like I'm a Japanese girl, you know? <laughs> and, and I just love um, to discover their civilization through sake. And uh, so, last
0: question. I mean, if we wanted to... If one of our listeners would like to immerse themselves more deeply into learning about sake or tasting sake, here in Paris... How would we go about that? Do we Would we contact the atelier or would we maybe ha- look at your events calendar to see if you're doing some kind of um, an event with maybe a mixologist? I know you do do a lot of events. So, uh, like, what's the best way to try to go a little bit deeper into this subject?
2: The best thing to do is to go on our Facebook, at de Sake, and Instagram and see exactly what kind of Cocktail is uh, has been done this week, and um, events, uh, as you said. And another way to discover sake more is to go to places where atelier de sake is, like the Peninsula in Paris. You go to the bar, and you can discover fantastic cocktails um, with sake, or just call Miriam Mazur <laughs> and I will give you a lot of addresses where you can have a lot of wonderful sake
0: we'll put your Facebook page up on our, uh, our show notes and then that'll be a good start Yeah, Miriam, I really want to thank you so much for taking your time on this very rainy uh, April afternoon to come and, and speak to Paris Good Food and Wine about sake, thank you
2: thank you very much Paige, it was a pleasure to be with you
0: Pep Thumper by Lauter and Brian of Mint Sauce. Thanks to freesoundtrack.com. Opening and closing music is Jazzy Paris by Ben Sound Music. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Be sure to check out our website at Paris foodandwine.net Thanks for joining us for this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible and especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on iTunes and remember to follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine and like us on Facebook at Paris Food and Wine.